Oh, please. Uh, well, you know, I just I just wrote this. I have a book coming out in July. Oh, um, great. Congratulations. B- thank you. Based on, <laughs> it's about, it's called Yes, I Can Say That. When they come for the comedians, we're all in trouble. And it's, uh, it's freedom of speech. It's the First Amendment from the perspective of a comic. Great. And in it, I, it's basically a polemic. But in it, I do despise political correctness. Now you have said you don't think it's a problem. And I want to say that I think it's a problem for comedy when people decide that a word is triggering and can't listen to the full idea. So you, you know, the context or the nuance or the intent of the comedian, you hear a word you've decided on Monday that that's a bad word. And when you hear it on Wednesday, you know, even if it's in a different context, it's still a bad word. Do you know what I'm saying? I 100%. So, yeah. Can I? Right. Yeah. right. Oh. But the stuff that the comedy that we heard, you know, Don Rickles would never make it today. And and if you were to do if you like playing his album, his like first like Hello Dummy today, right. like also I, I've listened to it recently. Like, I, I think that Don Rickles is hilarious. In fact, I can, t- can I tell you an, a personal story about Don Rickles that I have in my life yes! after this? But I'll first oh. say, like, I don't think that his, that, that album, that album was of a time. Right. And it was, of course, funny and important. And the taboos that he was, like, branching out of, you know, that he was fighting right. against at the time, like, just, like, some of the jokes now, to me, sound like he's just saying, like, there is a black person here. Right. Like, almost like, look at this guy. Like, which he is, what he does is more nuanced than that. But if you look at some of his jokes on paper, I'd be like, if anybody did those jokes today, I'd be like, you are a dinosaur. You right. know, like, it's important to be growing as a comedian as well as a human being in society but and the, i think and the yeah. climate was so much different then as well of course like here just to before i uh, am seen as an anti rickles i'm like i don't think uh, i mean he's he's gone now so it's not certainly right. like like he's not canceled uncanceled what like i i don't like when I also don't like when words are you like when there's a word that's used like am I canceled or not is this politically correct or not because the the wider truth is that it's a conversation it's a conversation that needs to be had it's a spectrum of like there are some comedians who are using the n word who I'd be like I wish they didn't there's some right. comedians who are using it that I'm like it makes sense that you're using right. it like Kamau Bell has a great joke about he, he I don't think he even says it in the joke right. but he's like my white friends are like when can I use the n word and and he says I'm like whenever you are ready to deal with the consequences right. of saying the N-word. Right. And they're like, oh, so I shouldn't say it. He's like, no, go ahead and say it if you want. Does anybody want to say it? You want to deal right. with the consequences of saying it? And like that encapsulates what I a thing that I think is true. There's so many perspectives on this. And it's about, you know, you don't want to, I don't want people, I like when people are loving in at their core. And when they express things that like, I, it's totally fine. Like I have family members or my girlfriend's family members who are Mormon. I have people, who, my my mother, who wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend everybody's comedy to her because right. it makes, it would make her feel a way. And that's the, I think 
if she went and watched a show that I would love, if she, I wouldn't recommend Doug Stanhope to her. Right, I right. Doug Stanhope. But if she happened to see him, she might be like, oh, I didn't love, like I saw, I did a show with Doug. Uh, there's so many threads, but I did a show with Doug years ago in, uh, at the Throckmorton. You ever go there? Ah, I love the Throckmorton. Oh, it's so wonderful. It was like right when the Satiristas book was coming out. Right. And it was like a Satiristas book release show. And Doug was headlining and he walked Mort Saul. Mort Saul, Wow. was at the show and yeah, was, he hangs out there a lot yeah and he he was heard to say by I didn't hear him but somebody said that Mort Saul walking out on Doug Stanhope was saying something like I know they can say whatever they want right. but like do they have to and right. the perspective that I have is sincerely like some people are like I want to say whatever I want and not think not care what anybody else thinks right I, I want to say, I personally want to say whatever I want and also think about how other people feel. Like right. you can think about how people might feel. I mean, that's the, I think part of the job of comedian is to think Make about people think. Yeah. What, what the effect your words are going to have on right. a person. And if like, if I told a joke, uh, like there are jokes that I have told that I wouldn't tell again, now knowing how right. it made a group of people feel right. or specific people feel, it doesn't I mean that, that I'm, yes. I'm kowtowing. I'm not, I'm not like giving them all the authority over what I say, but I'm including in, in all the things that influence me and what I want to do and what I decide to do. Like I ultimately decide, like I have a new joke about my, my girlfriend and how she's helped me pick out pants. Like I, she cares more what I look like than I do. And so I'm like, I want, I, these are pants that are, I'm actually wearing them now. I dress, I, I get dressed to work for a podcast in these times. Right. And I'm wearing pants that are uncomfortable compared to my pajama pants. I could right. be wearing them and they're uncom- more uncomfortable than the pants I would choose. And so I'm like, you can't make me, nobody can make me wear pants I don't want to wear, even though these are pants that I wouldn't make myself wear. Right. But I take my girlfriend's uh, opinion onto what I look like and right. how, I, how I present myself into account because I care. I care about taking into account the opinions of people I respect. The value. Right. Yeah. I, I and I love that about you. I mean, I love because you're very into kindness. And okay, but wait, tell finish your Don Rickles thing. Oh, of course, of course. Yes. Thank oh, you. Don Thank Don you for Rickles, getting us sorry, back. Rickles, so this is I, I I've just been remembering this story and telling it more because I love it. Uh when, oh, this is I think when I was dating Micah Fox. Uh she and I were I think with her mother. Uh, I believe, I think this is the group of people I was with watching a Broadway show, like a matinee of Bye Bye Birdie that lasted very, a very short time. The, if I say this on stage, I'm like, it was like, hello, Bye Bye Birdie. And then bye bye, bye bye Birdie, you know? <laughs> and uh, John Stamos was the lead. He played Conrad Birdie. <laughs> I'm making a face. A wonderful right face. Now. I love it. That was like a perfect John Stamos doing Elvis sneer. Yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah. And so he was in it and Gina Gershon was in it. And uh, 20 minutes in, it was like the day, I think it was right before opening weekend. It was previews. And he, 20 minutes into the show, the set breaks and something falls apart. And we're like, oh God, was that? And the, they close the curtains and John Stamos comes out and says to the audience, uh, that wasn't supposed to happen. We're going to fix it. Thank you. We're still in previews. But uh, in 20 minutes, we'll start up again. But in the meantime, I'll just uh, kill this time with you. And uh, in the audience, uh, ultimately, he 
he finds Bob Saget. He's like, Bob Saget's in the audience. Bob, do you want to come up here and tell some jokes? Right. And Bob does come up and tells some jokes into the microphone that is in his head. It's in his hair. Right, right. And so he's talking into Stamos's head for just a couple minutes until he... Uh, realizes that Bob Saget doesn't have any jokes for a 2 p.m. matinee family-friendly show. And he's like, sorry. And the way the story really happened is this next thing happened first, but I like it better for the story. He says, Don Rickles is also in the audience. Don, would you like to come up here and like help entertain the audience? And then Don from his seat just immediately, no. (laughs) Just (laughs) the perfect, like, you know, epitome, encapsulation of Don Rickles' essence of insult comedy in one syllable, two letters, immediately. It was the funniest thing. I remember remember that more than anything that happened in the play, 100%. You know, I I did Shakespeare in the Park um, a few years ago, and I, it was uh, the all-female Taming of the Shrew, and I played Gremio, and the set would break like it broke a handful of times. And I went out as my character and did stand up um, because my character was based on Donald fucking asshole Trump. <laughs> and, uh, and it was amazing. That it was amazing. amazing. But it's like, so those kinds of like put being doing stand up in a circumstance where you're not expecting to do it is really, it makes you a better comic, A. And B, I mean, it's because I've been doing it for so fucking long that nothing throws me, you know? Oh, sure. Of course. You know, I've seen it all. So that that's, that's an exciting part of it. But that's oh. so funny about Don. Like, I just... Of course not, because he knew exactly what was going to happen, you know? And, oh, yes. And can I can I say more about political correctness? Yes, uh, please. So I think that, like, you, there's... There's so many words and I that are that are possible to use to like capture the ideas of like how you want to do comedy. How like what is good comedy? It's funny, often it's irreverent. You know, like Carlin was a person who said like the job of a comedian is to find where the line is and then right. purposefully cross it. And here's a thing that he didn't say that uh, I'll add to this Carlin thing that the line that whatever that line is moved is itself moving. Oh, moves. Uh, yes. All it's, it's fluid. And yes. that is, that is why Don Rickles, what he did 50 years ago, what he wouldn't do the exact thing that he did then now. And I remember Paul F. Tompkins, a comedian I love, like when I asked this Paul. question, he, he is also a, a, I mean, he's an amazingly kind person and hilarious comedian. And he, I think, I, I don't know if he doesn't swear at all, but like he certainly, he isn't pushing the same envelopes that Stan Hope or right. you, or, uh, you know, like Carlin. But he is, I, I mean, he, I love his opening joke. He's like, I'm Paul F. Tompkins, and I do Paul F. Tompkins-based comedy. Like, right. he is so funny and so himself. And in a conversation once where I feel like the interviewer was like, do you dislike political correctness today and what it does. He said, well, I think that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me in a negative way because I'm all, this is what I'm doing. And also he says, if you want to say only the exact same things in the exact same ways with the exact same language that you did 20 years ago, then you are a dinosaur. Like then, like, because it's important as a human and an artist to be moving forward, not to say that society gets to determine what you can and can't say, because 
because we live in a time now where, you know, like Chappelle and Bill Burr are getting paid millions and millions of dollars to say, essentially, people don't want me to say everything, but I'm going to say it anyway. And 50 years ago, Carlin and Lenny Bruce were literally going to jail for saying things. Right. But, you you know, you look at that and I I understand that, but there's there's even there's it's even bigger than that, because once you get into, you know, away from the semantics. Yes. Right. And get to the, you know, like the Nimesh Patel uh, thing that happened to Columbia. Yes. Where he's telling a joke that's so obviously about how hard it must be to be an African-American or a person of color who's gay. And they're like, done, can't talk. And like, they don't even get the fucking, you know. Oh, yes. And that's where it's, it's, it's bad. You I, know? I hear you, yeah problem there is an there is an equilibrium like and it's it's important not to go too far like if you go too far in one direction then it's then it is hate speech if you go if there's actual you know non-care at the non-care for humans and for art and for comedy and for the joke and for the yourself and the audience and too far in the other direction and then yes you're you are then you are assigning uh, you, you are, it's essentially abusive in either direction because it's all, it's just abuse to say like, this was your intent. This right. is, if you like, so the, the idea is, of course, I think I'm pro listening to the whole story, listening to the whole joke, listening to the whole context, and then determining like after that point, like I've told some jokes in the past about sexual assault that I might not tell today. Right. There's because, plenty of jokes I wouldn't tell. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, I thought like, oh, it certainly wasn't pro-victimizer, but it was perhaps, let's say, just neutral, and there was like funny joke logic. Right, right, but, right. But to even bring up that topic, I think there now needs to be a certain bar cleared. Like, I want, I'll tell the best funny joke that I can about it if I think it's a, f- a funny enough and right. important enough joke. it has to be funny. It has to fucking be funny. And, and like, Sarah, uh, Sarah, can I say two more quick things about yeah, of this? Sarah Silverman... Uh, I know, like, you know, I think it's a perfect example of, like, the kindest person who historically said things that if you looked on paper at what she was saying, if you didn't know she was a satirist, and people could come up to her, come to her show and be like, we didn't enjoy it because we didn't know what her intent was. Like, if you're like, let's say an older person or a non-comedy savvy person, if you don't, if, if it's her show with her fans and her crowd, but there's just a couple people there that if she does, if she doesn't, if you don't know what she's doing, then you might be like, But you know, you're being kind as usual, because a lot of the, a lot of it also has to do with intelligence and ignorance. Fair. So you're saying, you know, you don't know the person, but a lot of times it's you're fucking dumb. You don't read the paper. You don't, you know, I don't know. Sure. And the, I guess the, the I'll segue into this right. final point about it, uh, perhaps final, final quote unquote. But speaking of the paper there, do you know Luisa Diaz? Uh, she is uh, a comedy producer. She has a podcast called Why You Mad, which is great. And she uh, she posted something that I really liked that uh, on, on her Instagram. I'll try to find it and send it to you. But it was, 
from, I think, maybe one from each decade, going back maybe 50, 60, 70 years, an article where people are saying, like, the equivalent of that generation's is political correctness going too far? Comedians want to do whatever they want, but it it, it is going in the face of indecency. And, like, so there's there always have been people who are like, stop saying that. And there always have been people who are like, I'm going to say what I think is important and valuable and good to say. That's in my book. A lot of that is in my book. Hey, everyone. You know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids, and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity. And eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality. And they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto. I just did Chef's Choice. 60 or more add ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep, there's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing. And so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero. Okay. Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D five zero, Judy Gold 50 to get... 50% off. That's code JudyGold50 at factormeals.com slash JudyGold50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. I am fascinated that you being who you are, nerdy, vegan, kind, loving, I I guess I shouldn't be that, but I am fascinated by, by your... I, what is it? Iwahaska? Oh, ayahuasca. Yeah. Ayahuasca. Okay. Because my son, Henry, is like, mommy, we are going away and doing ayahuasca. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Because I'm too afraid. Because I'm so fucking mental. Um, but you you go to these ceremonies and you and you trip? Like, what is it? Like, what the fuck is it? Sure, sure. Does I, your have, mother know about this? You know, 
so it's, I talk about it extensively on the new on the new album. Right. And she, I don't know if she's listened to the album yet, but I do know that she has seen me perform the material. Right. But but I do think it's interesting now because my mom is seeing more of my shows now because she's getting more tech savvy and right. now she can't see me live. So when she does right. sometimes, and so now I'm aware and like she's started listening to podcasts, so she might listen to this. And I will. I, I'm happy to talk with her about it, but it is not something that we ha- like. I went to Peru for a week in like 2015. Uh, I think I started the first ayahuasca ceremony I did. Most of them I've done in New York. Uh, like the the Peruvian guide lives in the Northeast of America, right. or, or previously did. And he would come to New York uh, many times a year, like sometimes once a month. Right. And uh, but then and so I would do it in like you know a, a quiet setting in New York City. And then he, every a couple times a year, was like, come on a retreat, if you would like to, to the jungles or the mountains of Peru. And I did that once. And so I went on this retreat. Wait, how long is the retreat? A week. It's, okay. uh, yeah, you get there and maybe over the course of a week, you do maybe five-ish ceremonies, like day, you know, five days in a row. What's a ceremony? Uh, a ceremony is you drink, you, you gather around with however many people there are. Uh, for the retreat in Peru, is maybe a dozen people. The smallest group I ever did it with was four. Sometimes it's as many as like 25 or 30, right. like depending on the space and how many assistants there are. But ba- mainly this one guide, uh, the Ayahuascaro, I think sometimes right. is he's referred to as. Um, he, uh, I've only gone, I've only done it with this one guy. So he- And we get, where do you stay? Do you stay like in tents or- uh, in when we did it in Peru, we were staying at like a lodge, kind of like oh, okay, a, a okay. very like no no elect electricity. There was electricity, no Wi Fi. So it's but, not fancy. No, no, it was okay. like the door doesn't click shut. You know, okay, so like I'm a summer like camp a bunk. Little jappy, so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there certainly there are. You know, the way when Chelsea Handler did it with whoever did it with her, right. probably also from Livingston, she. Right. Uh, probably, uh, you know, didn't do it necessarily. I mean, didn't have, you don't have to do it outdoors. Like there are, in fact, one time uh, after a ceremony in New York, uh, somebody asked the guide, do you think that doing it in the jungle is more authentic, is more genuine or valuable in a way? And there the guide said, the experience happens in your consciousness. So it doesn't actually matter where right, you are physically. You are. Okay. And in fact, the jungle can be loud. So this right. space can be better, you know, for your focus than the jungle. Okay. But yeah, so I went away for those seven days and I told, I I told my family, I I didn't, I didn't, I didn't lie to them. I just said, I'm going on this meditative retreat. So if they asked questions, I would answer them, but I didn't volunteer any more information at the time. Though I will say, uh, before I did ayahuasca, I had some experience with mushrooms, like in, since I was maybe 25, like I didn't smoke pot pot till I was like 24. Right. And then I did mushrooms when I was 25. And I was like, oh yeah, this is a valuable uh, experience, a valuable tool in a way. Maybe I didn't think of it as that at the time, but I would do mushrooms a few times a year maybe. And then I would talk about that on stage. And I remember one time my mom after a show was like, what are mushrooms? And then one time... <laughs> I talked about them on a podcast and posted about it on Facebook. And my grandmother, who at the time, my grandmother was on Facebook for a lot of like, like right. the last 10 years of her life, 15 years of her life. And she would comment on so many of my things that I would put on Facebook. And so she saw that I talked about mushrooms on a podcast. And she's like, what are these? And I was like, oh, they're a, you know, a non-addictive 
hallucinogenic uh, substance that I engage with once in a while. And she's like, oh, good. It's as long as it's not addictive. And so- Oh, I love her. And so I think I shared that similarly with my mom. Like my mom, you know, grew up, uh, born in the 50s, grew up in the 60s. And uh, I don't know what her experience was like, but I do, I, from the talks that I've had with her, she did not do, I believe, a lot of mental exploration right, via- right via this, uh, these tools. And so that's what I, that's what I was raised with. I was raised like, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do drugs. And I still, I've never smoked a cigarette because now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I don't specifically, I don't know what value I would get from it. Zero. Whereas with, with pot in college, I, I saw some friends who did it. And I was like, okay, like I'm, I don't judge my friends for doing it, but I'm not going to do it myself. But it was the when I got married in my twenties. The the person that I married, uh, she was very into pot at the time, like creatively. She was like a musician, and she's like, I create when I am under the influence of this substance, right? And it it is a valuable help. And, and I'm that- sure it's so. I'm sure Shakespeare. I mean, the, uh, come on, the, yeah, the, gotta be. I mean, first of all, you were married in your twenties. Oh yeah, I uh, I wouldn't recommend that. But uh, how yeah. old were you? Uh, we got married at 25. I was 25. And yeah. how long did that last? About three years. Was she Jewish? Uh, she she was half Jewish, half Italian. Oh, okay. There you go. Yes. Okay. So, all right. So, so I'm doing pot and then mushrooms. Yeah. And so little by little, like, you know, I, I think it's good to tell children, be like, Hey, don't, don't do pot. Like when you're too young, because it actually has like a scientifically uh, empirically studied impact on your brain and like impact on potentially the IQ. And so I'm like, yeah, like alcohol, there's an age after which we're like, okay, you're a responsible adult. Like, but please, I mean, but it's weird because, you know, in Italy or wherever in Europe where they're like, you could, hey, give your kids some wine, let them learn, let demystify it. At least like I I had a little beer that an adult gave me when I was 13. I'm like, gross. And so like, I didn't really, I still, I don't drink alcohol anymore at all. But for most of my, like when I got into comedy is when I really started drinking because you're paid with drink tickets and the, and Rick Jenkins after the shows in the comedy studio is like, what would you like? And I'm like, well, I don't like the taste of this poison, but what is, I'll take an amaretto sour, but I was only doing it like, again, not mindfully, just because it was there. Right. So that's the same way from the other direction that I was like told not to do drugs, not to drink, that eventually I learned that I am allowed to and encouraged to like think for myself and like try different things. As long as it's, look, I've never tried heroin because I'm like, I know through research, through other people's stories and through- Oh, please, you cannot try heroin. It's the, and the reason for that is I I saw this scale, this spectrum of drugs from pot to heroin, as far as like pot on one end is like the amount that you need to get high is so far away from the amount that you would need to kill you. Like there's a certain amount of any substance, including water that will kill you eventually if you have too much of it. Heroin, they're so close next. So heroin is the, of any substance that will mess you up, that will make you hallucinate, that'll alter your mind. Every substance alters your mind. Heroin, it's so close. And that's why people overdose on it more than they do pot or cocaine or even alcohol. Like alcohols, alcohol and cocaine are in the middle. Like to have the effects, like you're risking some measure of alcohol poisoning or Mm -hmm. a cocaine overdose. Whereas like mushrooms and pot, and then I think LSD, like, you know, who knows 
I feel like the LSD making people like think they can fly and jump off buildings. I think that that's like anecdotal fear stories that are less likely to be like the the yeah. common experience. But certainly, right. mushrooms and pot are at the the most innocuous end of the spectrum, and that's part of like when I ca- I came from this you know environment where I was so sheltered and being like you are you're so important you are everything you are the world and so don't don't your body is your temple don't put any any toxins in your temple yeah. and then i eventually as i became an adult i was like oh yeah i my mind did expand i even without the substances i was like it expanded to include like oh maybe this substance like one of the reasons i didn't smoke pot was because I was like, what if I have kids and I want to tell them truthfully that right. they shouldn't and I never did. And now I don't worry about that for many reasons. Yeah. And I think it's fine to be like, because if people think like that, do you think that way about alcohol? How am I going to tell my kids that I'm a hypocrite? You know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, and you just do, you're just like, I'm a hypocrite and you're going to be one too, right. but I care for your safety. And so, so don't be, do this. Be I careful with your brain and body. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you go to Peru. Yes. I, I just want to know, you take a, is oh, it yeah. a drink? Yes. Uh, so yeah, to, to answer your question of what the ceremony is like, uh, the first times that I did it were in New York. So I would show up to whatever yoga studio, dance right. studio, art space, wherever, where it's been a few different places. Uh, you show up at like, let's say eight at night. And then at nine at night, uh, maybe the guide has arrived and is starting to like greet everyone informally. Then like you're sort of like lining the room, like sort of like a semicircle around. He's at one end and it's like a circle. And uh, you, you're sitting maybe on a yoga mat or if you have blankets or a pillow, you start out seated and then he'll sort of introduce what's going to happen for people who don't know. And then it's kind of like a communion. Like he does, he does a couple of like smoke blowing rituals of like protection of the place, I believe, you know, and then, uh, and sort of you get this smoke blown in your area. And then at the end of the ceremony, there's like another smoke blowing to like the, the closing of that parenthesis. And like, I'm not a, you know, I have, I didn't grow up a completely like a religious practicing Jew, but like, I like the, the ceremonial aspects of it. It's, oh, it's nice that this is the thing that happens. This is the thing that happens every time. And so then you go up one by one, uh, like he drinks a little bit. It's like, just like a shot glass, uh, that he fills halfway or all the way, or only a little bit, depending like if he knows you, if he knows what your tolerance is, if you're new, he starts very small. And then you go and you drink it. And then you go back and you sit and then everybody drinks and then the the lights turn out. And then he, when he starts feeling the effects, rings a chime that like a bell that starts the ceremony. And then he guides it with these chants or songs that are called Icaros, that are these ancient Quechua language or Spanish or other languages, occasionally English, but usually another language that it's good if you don't understand it because it just sort of impacts maybe the pineal gland and your your mind, your consciousness, your heart, your whatever, you know, you hear it. And then the goal is to either just like be with it or follow it. And then some people go in with an intention or with questions to, to answer. My guide has said like, no, no need to have any expectations. Right. Like it'll help tell you where you are, like a, a spiritual GPS, like whatever, whatever's going on within you that right. is important to address will arise. And there may be visual hallucinations that those are not the point. Those are like the framework upon which the tapestry of your emotional, spiritual work experience, you know, is drawn or appears or arises. And then, yeah, for the next three to five hours, like it comes on 
For some people, slow. For me, it sometimes takes like an hour to fully kick in. You might feel these pre-epiphanies for a little while, I call Uh them. But then maybe an hour in or some some amount of time in, he'll say, if you're not feeling the effects, you can come up and have another shot. So some people take two shots. Like that's usually uh, the maximum that people will want or need. Uh, And then, yeah. And how long does it last? Uh, so the, the experience of the ceremony, like he'll close it maybe after, maybe it'll go from 10 PM till between one and two. So I'd say between three and four, three and five hours, you might still be feeling the effects depending on, on how much you'd eaten that day, on how much you'd taken that night. Uh, sometimes there've been times where it has lasted much longer. Like sometimes Uh I'm like, you're, you're then able to stay there and there's like a, you know, a time to relax and come down and break the fast. You've been fasting for most of the previous day. And then you gather in the other room where people are still resting in that room. And so then I'd say I'll sometimes stay there till it could be three in the morning, four or five, some every once in a while. And this hasn't happened in a while, but when I was first starting out, maybe I would take more than I needed. Maybe I didn't need need the second shot, but I'm like, I want to get all of the enlightenment that I paid for, you know, Uh, which is not like that's with, with mushrooms that I used to be like that also. Like if I had a small amount of mushrooms, I would think like, I don't have another source for this. I can either take them all or I can share them with some people. And now I much prefer to share. I'd be like, I'd rather have a smaller shared experience than right. like uh, an out of this galaxy, me alone, possibly terrified experience. Uh, but at the time, sometimes I would be there till six in the morning being like, wow. I can't yet move. And then do you, then you're done? Um, then I'd say the first time that I did it, I came down, I went home and then I went to sleep. And then the next couple days, I mean, I was like, I was experiencing the impact of like the things I'd been feeling and thinking about for, I mean, still, but definitely I was, it was still in the, like the, the headspace of right. that experience. And I would even, when I would wake up, cause the experience is very dreamlike. Like if you want to compare it to anything else, like when you, when you come out of it, it's kind of like waking up and like, you know how, when you wake up from a dream, the details might start to fade, but you have general feels, the general shape of it. You might try to be like, I'll write this down now before I forget. And so for the next couple of days after my first time, when I woke up, I would feel my body crackling with the energy that I felt during the experience. And then I could keep, it was sort of like, you know, like in meditation, if you meditate later in the day, you might remember to breathe the way that your meditation offers you. And you're like, ah, oh yeah. So, I mean, in some ways it has given gifts that, you know, offer like valuable life coaching or death coaching, you know, throughout the rest of my, my memory up until now, including now. Uh, But I would say, practically speaking, the effects last like very, you know, there's a a peak of like, what I've heard is maybe only 20 minutes, but the time dilates and who knows how much it feels like. It might feel like forever, but then over the three to five hours, there's that time period. Then there's like the day leading up to and coming down from it. But yeah, I would say certain, and there's sometimes it lasts for days, like, but not, not like you couldn't drive a car a few days later, but you definitely are still continually having things like bloom and burst. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. I don't know if I can handle it. But to to answer your question of, of how, or the, the topic of why it does, it might seem incongruous that I am a person who, you know, was by the book, literally right, like right, books right. are my life. That yeah, but I have, you're also, you know, you explore things and, and so, yeah. yeah I, I opened see, the book. I can see wanting to know all that.
I always ask my my guests two questions. Yes. Okay. And so you're gonna have to fucking endure that. All right. I accept. Um. First of all, we're very into mental health, which we just spoke about. Mm. Um, so I, you know, I suffer from anxiety. Depression. It's every Jew, every, my grandparents were cousins, Jew. You suffer from Judaism. Yeah. I suffer, uh, yeah, suffer from major Judaism. Anyway, so uh, what, besides um, DMT or what is it? It's uh, D- DMT. I, yeah. Ayahuasca. Yes. Um, what else do you do for your mental health? Have you ever been on antidepressants? Do you, yeah, that Good we're question. very pro mental health. Go ahead. Uh, I, I have gone to therapy. Uh, yes. I have not pro taken, therapy. yeah, I've not taken any uh, medications for my mental health uh, right. other than, you know, maybe like homeopathic type things right. like vitamins. My girlfriend is very into, uh, you know, uh, herbal essences. That's a shampoo, but you know, those, right. you know, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. uh she like right, right now. I'm I'm actually wearing uh, a, a a cologne or some kind like it's right. I'm, uh, oh it's nice to nice to smell away and like essential oils. That's the right uh, right right. Uh, so, but I remember when I first went to therapy. I, the very first time I went to therapy was with my parents when they were in couples counseling before right. they got divorced, and I fell asleep. Uh, and then That's when I went hilarious. to when I went to therapy in college, my therapist was like, oh, I would have been, I would have yelled at that therapist, like for allowing you to sleep through therapy because that wasn't a good therapy thing to do. But my goal in therapy, one of the things that I went for was I've bitten my, I up until very recently and still sometimes bit my nails. Same. And I don't know, this is, I'm, I'm one of the only people, I would love to find other people who also have this, but I stopped biting them while I was awake, but I kept biting them in my sleep up until a year or two ago when I got from the dentist a mouth guard for my teeth grinding. It had the secondary benefit of stopping me from being able to. Oh, that's amazing. But that's I, one I, yeah. of the most uh, com- that's the most common form of anxiety is, is this. Yeah. Oh yeah, and so I just I was doing it my whole wow, life. My that's grandmother, amazing. My grandmother offered to like she was like buy me off. She's like I'll give you fifty dollars to spend at Toys oh, R Us if you mother, stop. Yeah. My mother, Judith, I'm getting you gloves. Ha <laughs> ha, white gloves. Uh, I got those horrible tasting things that you oh, know. Yes, yes, my father. They we yeah, that was horrible. I, I would wake up with no nails and a horrible taste in my mouth. Oh, but uh, do you want, here's a quick funny thing about my grandmother. And this is, uh, she worked as a nurse for a dermatologist's office for almost 40 years. And what, one of the things that I remember her telling me is, if a child came in with a wart or any warts, she would then say to the child, can I buy that wart from you for 25 cents? She would give them a quarter and then the wart would be gone the next day. That Just is the power of, that. it's the, the placebo yeah. Power of mental belief, and You're not uh, kidding. So I remember when I, yeah. <laughs> when I first went to therapy in college of my own volition. Right. Uh, I my desire for it, my goal of it. I'm a psych major, like, which means I'm a student. I don't know everything right. about it, but I wanted to tell. I was like, I want to tell them everything that happened in my life, and I want to tell them everything that I'm thinking, and I want to have him be like, that makes sense. That is right, normal. Right, You're right, right. all set. Right. But. Uh, I then, I would only go to therapy and as an adult when I had insurance for it, like when I did enough TV a year that I had good SAG-AFTRA insurance. Right, right. And I went when I was dating a woman who I wasn't sure if we had the kind of relationship that I wanted to. So I wasn't, I never went just for, you know, talk therapy for like maintenance. I, I only went for specific needs and desires. But 
what I do for, I think, my mental health and yes. or caring for myself in these ways is I wake up. The thing, a valuable thing I read once that my girlfriend introduced this book into my life by a guy named Alan Cohen. I forget the name of the book, but it's like every day. Oh yeah. Every day, like an affirmation or a meditation or a lesson or a fable, right? Right. Where one of the, one of the days it really sticks with me and I love it so much, uh, is talking about the formative years of your life and how, of course, if a baby doesn't get enough physical touch, enough nutrition, enough of its needs met, enough of its care supplied, that sets you up. Like if you get all that care that you need in the first two years of your life, it doesn't mean you have the best life, but you're set up for success way more than if you don't. And he says that, Alan Cohen says, the formative minutes of your day are also like that. That if you wake up and immediately plunge into like the social media hellscape, the news and internet and computer and everything. Like, so he says, if you start your day with, if it's prayer for you, if it's meditation, if it's running, if it's reflection, if it's whatever it is that you're like, I'm mindfully taking this time. That So that's why I start most days when possible uh, I wake up and now I'm drinking water because a couple of days ago, uh, my girlfriend's big on water yeah. and she has this book all about all of the things that can befall you, all the physical ailments that just drinking water might prevent. Like just a few nights ago. Oh, water is so important. Yeah. I was overwhelmed with, it didn't even make any sense. Like we both didn't, had no rational explanation until she was right. like, did you drink enough water today? And I was like, I literally did not. And so now I have these big jugs of water that I usually keep nearby me that I'm right. drinking three a day. So now my new, here's my new, you're the first person I'm telling my newest. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Ritual is I wake up and I drink this maybe a liter of water. And while I'm drinking the liter of water, I'm reading right now a book by Ramdas. Sometimes it's a book by Pema Chodron or Kiknat Han or right. Rama Yeshe, a spiritual teacher, a Buddhist writer. Right. And so I'm that's the first words, that's the first concepts that are going into my being of the day water into my body, Buddhism or spirit into my spirit. And then after I drink it, after I finish a chapter or a few pages, then I meditate. Uh, I sometimes use Headspace. I sometimes use Insight Timer. Yeah, I use Insight Timer, yeah. uh, And then I'll do that for between 10 and 20 minutes. And then... I will do morning pages, uh, like a la the artist's way. I I go to 750words.com and I just write sometimes like just gratitude for myself, sometimes an email to my girlfriend or my mom, sometimes comedy, sometimes lyrics, some, you know, just anything. And that's the way that I start my day. And it's very, and these days, now that it's been getting nicer out, In New York, we have a little, we just moved a few months before the quarantine into a downstairs apartment that has backyard, like garden access. Oh, that's perfect. Where are you? What? what? Uh, So, uh, Park Slope. I am in Park Slope. Oh. Mm. (laughs) Okay. Short Hills, Park Slope. I don't own any of these places, but I I had a girlfriend who lived in Park Slope. Sure. And I I used to call it no park slope because you could never fucking find a parking spot. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. So So I sit outside and get nature and then walking is another big one. Yes, big one. Walking, even just 20 minutes. I try to do 40 minutes when I can, but just walking. Sometimes now I'll be on the phone with my mom or another friend. Uh, Yeah, you got to move. Very healthy. Now- before I get to my final question, yes, I just have two comments. Yes, first of all, comedians' national anthem that you did with Micah Sherman. Oh yeah, fucking 
hilarious. Thank it's you so much. one of my much. favorite things in the whole world. <laughs> I really okay? appreciate it. And then I was thinking, oh, let's, I wanted to write another verse. Okay. Ah. And then um, it says on your website that you're polyamorous. That is something that uh, was true at a time. And I am now in a hap- what I call a mindfully monogamous relationship in that I, you know, you, everyone who grows up in our society, in our culture is like, you know, I was given all the same media and stories, uh, like, oh yeah, like certainly in my, my family, I was given heteronormative examples of like, you're a man, you grow up, you marry a woman, the end. Uh, and then when I got married, I was actually married to a woman who identified as queer (laughs) and she was the first person to introduce the concept, the word of polyamory to me. And I didn't want it. I didn't. I was like, no, no, thank you. I was afraid of it. But we, towards the end of our marriage, we did open our relationship in a way that you often see and people blame for marriages falling apart when people are like, oh, the open relationship didn't work. That's right. They don't work. When most, most relationships don't work. Most. Period. But so so wait, polyamorous doesn't mean you add, you're like a throuple. It means- you go it out. Could. Oh, it could. Yes. Yeah. Polyamory. Yeah. On your own. Yeah. Oh. See, the, the, the largest umbrella term is either openness or non-monogamy. Okay. And so that can be like swingers are non-monogamous, but they're doing it all together, right? They're not going right. on their own or uh, like just having a threesome is non-monogamous right, right. because that's inviting one person in once in a while, but it's right. still you doing it together. Whereas polyamory, it does come from like the Latin and Greek for many loves. So it is more more than just a two-person relationship, which could be a married couple where they each have their own separate relationships, right, right. or it could be a thruple or a quad or some combination of multiple loving romantic relationships. Oh, and thank you so, for that explanation. So I have at since after I got after I was married, I, I wrote this joke, which was the truth that I was like, I don't think I could be with just one person unless I'm looking for the one that will let me be with others. You know? That's good. I like that. Thank you. And so that was, I was looking for the right kind of open relationship. Right. uh, and so I was looking for other people, either trying to talk to people who liked me about being in the kind of relationship right. I wanted or finding people who wanted that kind of relationship and seeing if they wanted to be with me. And so there was a lot of trial and error. And uh, ultimately, the relationship that I'm in now started when I was in relationship with another, per- at the end of another relationship that was open. And we we just started, we met, I met my girlfriend, we started seeing each other. I talked to her about openness and my my connection to it, my desire for it. And right. she was completely, it made sense. She was oh, on board. And then my other relationship ended for its own reasons. And I and then we kept being single and or dating, you know, each other and other right. people for a while. Right. She was then in a monogamous relationship at a point. And then after that, now close to three years ago, I guess exactly three years ago now, uh she exited that other monogamous relationship, came back into my my life experience relationship. Uh, and we have been together and we've been living together. And uh, we've, 
we've been having these conversations about what we want our relationship to be, right. how we want it to be. And now, now finally, I'm at the place where I feel like people were always wrong to tell me this, like older, older, like authority right. figures in my life, people I love and respect, but who weren't open relationship people. They'd be like, ah, when you find the right person, then you just know. But right. I wouldn't have found this person if I didn't take all the steps I did and had all the openness in my life that I did at the time to know that now this is actually a still an ever opening experience, even right. though we are together, only us, and I want to be, and I'm happy to be. That's and it's great. Yeah. So yes, oh. for a time, I, I would say that I was like now polyam culturally polyamorous. Right. Uh, and like, I, I totally- but, yeah. but practicing monogamy. Yes, correct. Um, okay, here's my final question. Yes. The podcast is called Kill Me Now because I get, aggr- I get so fucking mad about so many things, especially injustice. But I want to know what pisses you off more than anything in the entire world. Oh, sure. I mean, (laughs) uh, a challenging question for me, a person who doesn't even like to say that he has a pet peeve because pet peeves themselves are- Are anti-animal. And, but here's, here's a thing that I, that I talk about sometimes that I haven't thought in a while, but, uh, I like in my comedy and in my life to, to focus on the little good things and the big bad things like to work as to, to be grateful for the small things that i have right. because if you're if you're too loud about the gratitude for the big things like i just got this big thing but right. if you're if you're grateful for small things that you have that almost everyone almost everyone i think could have something small that they're grateful for something right. small and positive but then on the flip side if i'm complaining about small things then i i myself will feel ungrateful compared to all of like, I mean, injustice, of course, like the big bad things. I mean, like, that's, but yeah. I'm saying like, yeah. uh, there are specifics, but it's like, that's the thing, like, you know, things that are not fair or people who are incompetent or don't try or are not curious or like, you know. Sure. I mean, and here's the, yeah. the thing is that I, I've learned also, my girlfriend shared this with me. I don't know where she received it from, but we see the world not as it is, but as we are, right. you know? And so, so there's so often a time when people are like unconsciously like projecting, like when the president says the Democrats are lying and stealing right. and cheating. And you're like, oh, is that what the Democrats are doing? Is That's that, what like, you're fucking doing. Right. And so I want to be as, or even my grandmother, but beloved grandmother right. who hated Trump and she'd be right. like, he's an asshole and a name caller. And I'm like, hold right. on grandma. You know, like when you're calling him a name caller. So I, I'm very conscious that the things that bother me the most must also be things that are within me. So like I've gotten into a conversation recently about white supremacy, about, you know, white people killing right. black people. And that when I'm talking with certain white people about it who like ha- I'm not perfect I'm still growing I also right. don't have the requisite non-white direct lived experience that that non-white people right. do and so that is it can be an extremely frustrating thing to like to go from communities where I mean with with you you're a person who understands like you're you're a woman you're if I'm correct a queer person like yes. you have experiences like you're not a person of color but you are a Jew and you're all of these other right. groups that have experienced various kinds of you know uh, oppression uh, and offense and so so you can, like, my girlfriend is like, 
I'm a white person, but I'm a woman. And so at least I can, she's like, I know that there are things that people of color are experiencing that I'm not experiencing because I know that I'm experiencing things as a woman that non-women are right. not experiencing. Right, and, but they experience it just because of the color. Of the, like, they can't hide it. Like, I could hide being a lesbian. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> hide being a yes. lesbian. But to, um, to be, it's just fucking like, the guy's running. He's jogging down the street like, what the? He has every fucking right to jog down the street and look at a construction or get a, gl- a couple oh, of fuck. Yeah. You, I want it's fucking like I can't. Be, oh, it's so oh, upsetting. Yeah, it but, is. Yeah. It is more. I, I mean, I I'm grateful that I, I'm I'm set, like this is a complex emotional cocktail because like right. I my comfort is like uh, an inheritance of my whiteness. Like even right. to be able to to not think about that, to not think about this all of the time right. is uh, a luxury, is part of the privilege. Right. And, I mean, to be as, a, you know, I have two sons and I can't even imagine if I had to say, you know, like, and so many mothers have to say to their kids, like, just, you know, be careful when you're driving. Like, don't look at anyone. Don't make, you know, like, fuck. Yeah, and my, my parents are telling me, don't do marijuana because, like, it right. won't harm you almost in any way. Like, I'm so sheltered from, from things that don't need sheltering. And right. other people have to be sheltered from this, this these horrors that there's this, this Doug Stanhope joke that I love where he says uh, something like, I'll yell at you today for not knowing something that I just learned yesterday. And so that's, right. that's what I feel about, about this work that is ongoing and learning like how right. much it's important to you know, amplify voices of people who have different experiences right. and contribute money and time and energy as much as is possible. And so, and then to come and to be then surrounded by uh, communities of people like my friends and many comedians and non comedians and a lot of my like it's not just preaching to the choir, but it's great that this choir right. does exist of support of being like let's help each yes, other, yes. help everyone as much as we can, and then to talk to a person who ha- is not as far along the path as you know I became a week ago, and right. you're just like how. Do you not like there? I'm like, how are you exactly the same? Like before I I became vegan, I wasn't vegan. Before I became vegetarian, I wasn't vegetarian. So that's why I don't yell at people when they're living how I lived before I had those experiences. You're pretty, you know, you're pretty healthy. I I am. And I'm I'm yelling about it now, but only in this safe yelling. Your your home is a safe yelling space. But yeah, I mean, it's, it is incredibly, I get worked up when I get into, like, I try not to get into too many, what I think of as unnecessary, pointless, like internet yes. battles, interactions. Like I used to write back to everybody all yeah, the but time. You can't do that. I'll make you fucking crazy. So there's now like a limit, the limited few, the the people who like I care about and who I think I might be able to have an impact on and who are also have like, there are people armed with arguments that are, it's important to be able to dismantle like along with like white supremacy at large. Like if they're not going to listen to, okay, white supremacy is bad. Like if they're not already on board with that, then you're like, okay, I, I as a white person have to start from the bottom and be like, like, how do I drag you from this pedestal that is your your racial, like just hereditary uh, birthright? You know that, yes. like, hey, c- come here. Uh, so yeah, so that it. that is that is a frustrating thing in my experience. Well, 
I have to say, you are a delight. The same. Um, I can't. It was so great talking to you. I had so much fun. Thank um, you. I want to do ayahuasca. I think. Oh, so, I. At any point that it's it's happening again, I'll certainly be okay. in touch. And we. But I'm not can, telling anyone. I'm not oh, telling I, anyone. Yes, okay? I I hear you completely. Right. I I thank you so much for having me here, and oh God, uh, it's been best. a pleasure to have this conversation. And everyone, where can everyone find you? M I M Y Q. That's yes. how he spells his name. M Y Q Kaplan. Yeah, all the social media of M Y Q Kaplan. Get and, his new yeah. your new album, aka. Yes, it is available. If you, you're listening to a podcast, you can probably find the album, but, you know, iTunes, Apple Music, right. all the places. And it's great. And it's great. And thank you, Judy. brilliant. And I can't wait to work together. The same. And thank you for not um, keeping my joke. Oh, uh, of course. Thank, <laughs> thank you for, I mean, it was like, it was like, what What do you call it? It was like training wheels for me briefly, oh, okay. you know, that right. I, I put them on and I'm like, we, I'm going. And yes. then I was able to balance on my own with my own jokes. And I was like, and here I mean, you are. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Judy. This thank has really you. been a pleasure. It was great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to part two of Kill Me Now with Mike Kaplan. If you like the show, how could you not? Make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Please leave a review. I want five stars, okay? It helps more people find this amazing show. Five stars only, please. Also, if you have not had the chance to pre-order my new book that I'm very proud of, it's called Yes, I Can Say That, When They Come for the Comedians, We're All in Trouble. It is available for pre-order right now. It'll be released to the general public on July 28th. Book list, which is an excellent, excellent website, says that my book, yes, I can say that, is a powerful and powerfully funny argument in support of how vital free speech is to comedy and comedy is to us. Okay? Come on. That's damn good. So there you go. It would mean so much to me if you would check it out and you can pre-order anything that I have. Uh, All the pre-order links are on the homepage of judygold.com or wherever you buy your books. Always Please, I know I say this every week, make sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram for all of my upcoming virtual dates at Judy Gold, J-E-W-D-Y-G-O-L-D. Get it? Jew Gold? Because <laughs> I'm Jewish. Anyway, I uh, got a lot of fun stuff coming up. So uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please stay safe. Please stay well. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. And as we always say, so long! And uh, everything was wonderful. I'll see you soon. Thank you for the visit. So long.